we ended up being induced at 37 weeks one day, which was like, I'm, you know, not really a fan of induction because I know that's the first step towards a um, spiraling out of control of your birth plan. Welcome to the Happy Home Birth Podcast, your source for positive natural childbirth stories and your community of support, education, and encouragement in all things home birth and motherhood. When you're pregnant and not feeling well, what's your first line of defense? Have you ever felt the need to turn to pharmaceutical medications quickly, feeling like there aren't any other good options? Hey there, happy home birthers, and welcome to episode 169 of the Happy Home Birth Podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Fusco, and this week we are speaking with Jenna Dodge. Jenna Dodge is a mother of four children, ages 3 to 11. She lives in Bozeman, Montana with her children, husband, and two dogs. She owns a homeopathy practice, serving clients, including myself, anywhere in the world via telehealth at projecthomeopathy.com, and she teaches homeopathy online courses at jennadodge.com. When she's not working with clients or teaching homeopathy, you can find her spending time with her family, lifting weights in her home gym, baking sourdough bread, or playing the piano. And like I said, Jenna is actually my homeopath. I was so excited to find out that she was a home birth mother herself. So today we'll be taking our time going through her birth stories as well as a thorough rundown of homeopathy and how you can use it as an empowering tool for your family. Speaking of empowering tools, don't forget that that's what this podcast is. It's an educational tool, not medical advice, so continue to take empowered responsibility for yourself and your family. Okay, let's jump into this episode. Jenna, thank you so much for coming on the Happy Home Birth Podcast. Sure, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, I am thrilled to have you because you have changed my life in maybe a thousand different ways as my own personal homeopath. Um, and I've just benefited so much from your knowledge that I felt like we have got to get you on the show, especially when I listened to the first episode of your podcast and found out that you were a home birth mom. I was like, oh my gosh, this is meant to be. So for those who don't know you, would you take a moment to just kind of introduce yourself and your family to the listeners? Sure. So my name is Jenna Dodge and I have four kids. I live in Montana and I had three home births. So that is, uh, it was going for four, but that's, that's another story I'm sure we'll get into. (laughs) Um, and I am a homeopath. So I actually came across homeopathy once I became a mom and, um, have, I just fell in love with it and I decided to study to be a homeopath and, here I am. And now my oldest is almost 12. (laughs) So um, I've been a homeopath now for, gosh, he was four when I was really first introduced to it. So it's been a while now. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's so incredible. And I always love hearing the stories of how it is our motherhood journey that sometimes sparks that huge passion or massive endeavor in our lives. I know that's definitely how it was for me. So that's, it's really neat to hear that that's, that plays a part of your story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I would love to hear, um, so you've, you've had three home births out of your four and your first one was a home birth. So I'm always really curious to hear 
how did you decide to start off with a home birth? That's a great question. And I feel like it was completely, it was luck. So first of all, I will give a lot of credit to my own mother who, while I was born in the hospital, um, she had a midwife in the hospital and she had natural pain-free or not (laughs) pain-free. Well, maybe they were, I don't know, (laughs) but medication-free births. And so I always knew I can do that. You know, that is, that's possible. My own mother did that. Of course I can do that. And I actually, we used to have a midwife in Bozeman is where I live on Main Street. So I was walking, literally walking down Main Street. Bozeman was a lot smaller then (laughs) than it is now. If anybody's listening and knows of Bozeman, it's, it's grown a lot, but we had a midwife who shared an office with a naturopath. So I was actually introduced to kind of both modalities at the same time. And I just called her up and, you know, I've never been a big fan of, going to the doctor or, you know, the hospital, it's always kind of a scary place for me. And I'm a really big advocate of people, as I'm sure probably you are too, giving birth where they feel most comfortable. And for me, that was just a hundred percent, not the hospital. Um, So I went with it and, you know, my husband was a little nervous at first, but he came along to the, you know, um, birth classes and he read the books and all that stuff. And he really came around to it. And we just had a really great experience. Oh, that's amazing. That is the idea of like deciding to have a midwife by walking down the street and seeing a midwife's office is the coolest story. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was, I don't know. It was just like a timing thing, you know, it was just perfect. And it was, I was walking, I think to meet my husband at work. Well, um, okay. So I can't remember if we were married yet. So we got engaged and found out we were pregnant like at the same time. (laughs) So um, technically we got engaged first, although I was probably pregnant and just didn't know it. And so I actually think it was that fall. So technically he was my boyfriend, but, or my fiance. Um, And yeah, I was walking to meet him at work and her office was right there and it was pretty amazing. That is so neat. So once you saw her office, once you decided, okay, this is what we're going to do. What was that experience like? How did you um, experience that first pregnancy? I really, well, I was a little sick, um, but beyond that, I really felt really good. So I actually owned a CrossFit gym at the time. So I was very, very active. I mean, I was teaching CrossFit classes up until the night before he was born, (laughs) Um, Friday night classes. And... I just, I mean, I felt really good, you know, like, and looking back, it's funny because we actually got married when I was about 19 weeks pregnant. And I thought I was this like, like large, voluptuous, like (laughs) female. And like, looking back, I'm like, I look completely normal, like of any person walking down the street. Um, But it's just like in your mind, you know, and I was pretty young. And so first pregnancy, it just all these changes, but I stayed active throughout um, pregnancy, which I think really helped with my recovery. And I felt really good. And I mean, his birth was definitely challenging, but I did prepare myself. Um, we did the birthing from within book class series, our midwife put that on. And I, you know, I had done some things training wise to help prepare myself. Um, just knowing if I can get through, you know, this particular thing I've done in my life, I can get through anything. So yeah, I felt pretty good. Yeah. I think 
maybe for a CrossFitter, it, it is. It's like, oh, this is the ultimate, <laughs> the ultimate test of strength and endurance. And yeah, you can, you definitely can really liken it to some type of major physical activity, which is what you were doing on a daily basis. Yeah, definitely. And I think looking back, I would have like in subsequent pregnancies, I definitely took it a little easier. I think I was so worried about quote unquote, losing my body and all these things that now I realize is just not important, <laughs> you know, but it was very important to me then as part of my identity as being a, a, a coach, you know, I would have taken it a little easier in retrospect because the, the female body, well, all bodies, but the female body is so amazing. And the amount of changes it goes through from getting pregnant to having the baby to then nine months to a year later, you know, we just don't have to stress about it. Our bodies know exactly what to do. And we don't have to punish ourselves to try to maintain some, you know, semblance of being in shape, burn, mm -hmm. you know, while pregnant or in the year after, because that's not the most important thing. But also, I was really surprised with how quickly I did recover. And I think that goes back to just also proper nourishment, because that's always been a big part of my life. And I know we've talked about that before, too. Yeah. And something that hit me, at, even as you were saying that was the idea of when we do that, like when we're like, all right, well, I have to maintain my body, like I have to maintain my physical form throughout this pregnancy. It's like, oh, that is so counter, like that is so counter to what needs to be going on. And it's almost like when you're in labor, fighting, fighting a contraction, it's gonna come like it's got to come. So if we're putting up active resistance towards that change, like how much harder does that really make things for us? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's absolutely that's fascinating. <laughs> Never really mm -hmm. thought of it that way. But yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. So what did that first labor entail? How did it all happen? How did you know? Oh my gosh, I think I'm in labor. <laughs> so <laughs> um, first of all, I will say the afternoon before at like 2 p.m. I have a really great memory for times and dates and stuff. Um, we were walking into this bike shop um, and I felt what now I know was like my cervix, you know, <laughs> like very, very painful. And I just remember thinking like, ow, but I was sure I was going to be like two weeks late because he's, you know, my first, he was born exactly on his due date, by the way, ah. which is just crazy. Only and then babies are. How many? What percent? Five percent. Five percent. Yeah. Okay. And he, um, yeah. And then nothing else. And so that night, I remember, of course, like any pregnant woman at <laughs> forty weeks, like I'm going to watch a funny movie and eat spicy food. And you know, we did. We watched a movie that was supposed to be funny. It wasn't that funny. Um, <laughs> we went out to dinner, and I actually, this was great. I got a piece of chocolate cake. But I was too full to eat it. You know, you're really full. You can't eat that much food <laughs> when you're 40 weeks pregnant. So that went in the fridge. Well, the next morning at 1, about 1 a.m., I woke up like in labor. There was no question. Like it was definitely a contraction. So my husband started timing them. And I remember he calls the midwife and he's like, so Jenna's in labor. And Rebecca says, okay, well try to go back to sleep, like go watch a movie or whatever. And I'm here, like I am in active labor, but she's thinking most women for their first labors, like take a while. Mm -hmm. And so 
about three hours later, he calls her again at this, he, he calls her again. Like it is just getting, I think he actually might've called her once an hour (laughs) to check in. Um, and he, uh, it's getting more and more intense and he calls her again and she's, he's like, Jenna wants you here because that's what Rebecca says. Well, does she want me there? And he says, yes. She's like, okay, I'm coming. He hangs up the phone and I throw up, which of course now (laughs) we know is like transition. Right. And so the midwife comes over and, um, I don't really remember a whole lot else, but I do remember, you know, I had learned cause this was back when mothering.com had the forums. I don't even know if they were still, I don't remember how old your kids are and I don't know if the forums were still around at that time, yeah, but I mean, my five-year-old, I don't remember forums. That right. Much. I'm pretty sure by the time you had your, your oldest, somebody else, somebody had bought mothering.com and it was no longer the same. I learned everything about homeschooling and medical choice, everything from those forums. I feel really, really lucky that we had those, but, you know, so I had learned, and even with birthing class, like breathe the baby out, like try to resist pushing. And so I think in retrospect, I was actually resisting too much with the pushing. Mm -hmm. Um, And once I realized that that was happening, um, it was okay. I mean, his birth was fine. The midwife was super helpful and he was born. It was like a six hour labor. Um, he was a little bit cone headed because he's got, he had a gigantic head, <laughs> <laughs> huge. Um, but other than that, you know, I just remember, in fact, my husband always teases me when he was born and I got to hold him. I was like, Oh, you're so cute. <laughs> like I was just so blown away. Um, and we had, a professional birth photographer. And of course they can't find any of my photos, though I do have a slideshow as that um, we put together, but yeah, that was kind of his birth. I mean, it was really intense from the beginning and it snowed the morning he was born. So we were in the bathroom, like all my babies were born in the bathroom (laughs) and uh, we had skylights and I just remember looking up and it was snowing and it was May 29th, by the way. So it's not that it was winter. It's that we live in Montana. (laughs) (laughs) It's the Montana factor. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Oh, that is, that is a whole nother topic. Gosh, (laughs) if it's snowing in May, I don't know how I would handle that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it didn't stick, but you know, there were flakes coming down and (laughs) that's That's beautiful. Yeah. And it was Memorial Day weekend. So it was good because my husband had the long weekend anyway, and then he got a couple extra days off of work. But, you know, when they go back after five days, you're like, don't leave. (laughs) Please please don't. Yeah. So one thing that really stood out in that is the the feeling like seeing your baby for the first time and you're just like, Oh my gosh, you're so beautiful. Like you're the most beautiful baby that I've ever seen. (laughs) I remember feeling that way about my oldest when I saw her, it was just like, you're gorgeous. How are you so gorgeous? And then like, I look back, I'm like, she's got like a bloody eye, like (laughs) broken blood vessels. Her cheeks are like smushed up over her eyes. Like she, her little face was just like straight in my hip. So it's like the funniest swollen little face. But at the time, like, it's like, oh, you're so beautiful. And like, it doesn't matter that you have a massive cone head. Like you are the most gorgeous thing I've ever seen. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. And he was, he was 
he he did have a cone head and he was my skinniest baby except for my last which maybe we'll get into that mm -hmm. um but uh yeah he was the skinniest and he was the longest that i carried and so i think he was kind of like a little alien looking but he plumped up super fast you know how they do that <laughs> <laughs> oh man okay so so you had this first baby. Um, what was your postpartum experience like? How did that unfold? So that was great. So I, I was self-employed. So I had a gym, but I also had a great manager. Um, the gal I opened the gym with, she ended up not, no longer being a part owner, but she, I brought her on as a manager. Mm -hmm. um, and she was amazing. And so I really didn't have to worry. I still definitely worked. <laughs> There's pictures of me laying in bed with him on my chest and like my laptop, which, oh my gosh, terrible. But, and I actually remember getting my first smartphone right before, after he was born. So I could do emails, you know, and in retrospect, it's like, why did I do that? You know, <laughs> but um, it was pretty good. My midwife said to lay in bed for a week and I took her very seriously. <laughs> mm -hmm. And my mom came to visit and she would always bring me finger food, cut up these little plates so I could always eat and bring me water. And I, we just like hung out. I do remember the first night was pretty shocking because he was crying and we didn't know what to do. And we didn't know about swaddling. And I know now there's like, you know, now I know like, okay, maybe you're not even supposed to swaddle. Like there's all this theory about that. But at the time I didn't even know it was an option. So we just kind of felt like, oh my gosh, what are we doing? You know, I, I researched so much about the pregnancy and birth process and I kind of completely didn't know what to do with the, when he was born. And I was planning on doing attachment style parenting as far as like breastfeeding on demand and co-sleeping, but he had other plans for the first night. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I do remember thinking like, oh my God, what have we gotten ourselves into? Um, but beyond, then we just started, we figured out co-sleeping and I used to go to bed with him at like 8 PM and then I'd get up at naturally cause I got so much sleep. I'd get up at like five and after I was ready, I would go back and work out cause it was summer, go to the gym, work out, come home and he'd still be sleeping in bed with my husband. So that was really, it was sweet. It was really nice. Yeah. That's, I mean, for, for a first postpartum. And thinking like, okay, and 12 years ago, like there were not nearly as many accessible resources. It sounds like you really did postpartum right. <laughs> like the way that a lot of moms do it the second time around because the first time around didn't go so hot. So that's really cool that you were like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm going to lay in bed. I'm going to rest. I'm going to take mm -hmm. that seriously. I feel like for me, it, it took me doing it wrong the first time to do it mm -hmm. well the second time. That's really cool that you... You're, especially it sounds like your, your midwife had told you like, Hey, yeah, you should stay in bed. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, we didn't have a pediatrician, so we went the naturopath route. And so the midwife is really the, you know, they come do the three day, one week, and I think six week visit. And I think she came to us for the six week visit and also, which is, they don't always do that. Um, and then we transferred into like a naturopathic care. So I don't know if potentially not researching as much about postpartum, maybe that was a blessing because I wasn't anxious mm -hmm. um, and then not doing, you know, the typical well child schedule. I feel like that could be anxiety producing and I knew he was growing. And so I didn't really have any concerns, 
So yeah, I don't know. I guess I was lucky based on who my provider was. Yeah, that's really, that's awesome. So with your second, what was, what's the age difference and how did that pregnancy come to be? Yeah. So they're almost four years apart. Um, and that's my biggest gap. <laughs> um, okay. Well, first of all, with this pregnancy, I started working, I was continuing to work out because I like, I didn't have a gym anymore, but, um, and I actually injured myself about when I was about 10 weeks pregnant, I had my favorite term sarcastically pubic symphysis dysfunction. Like, why does it have to be a dysfunction? <laughs> why can't it just be <laughs> pain or something? But I had that apparently. And I, I got it from, I was doing a, a CrossFit workout, but it was actually from the running, which, you know, I would, I could barely run past the first trimester anyway. So I really should have just skipped it that day. So I couldn't even work out. Everything hurt. And so I just walked basically every day. We lived on some trails. We were in Oregon at the time. And so I got a lot of walking in. Um, I will say I gained less weight. I gained an enormous amount of weight with my, <laughs> with my first. I gained more like the normal 40 pounds with my second. And I don't know really what the difference is. Um, with him, I could not eat protein at all. Like disgusting. Could not. And it's funny because he still, he hates protein <laughs> and he's almost eight. <laughs> and so... Um, yeah, it's funny how we get those cravings and symptoms from our kids and from homeopathy. I know that's very normal, but, um, when with him going into, I also had a midwife, a really great midwife in Oregon that actually knew my midwife from here. So it's kind of a, ref a recommendation. And in my mind, I was thinking, okay, my previous birth was six hours. This one's going to be like, half an hour because my mom had told me that her first was 12 hours and then I was one hour. So oh. I'm thinking, Oh my God, if I'm anything like my mom, this baby's just going to come flying out. Right. And I actually had a complete opposite experience. He was still born in six hours, but my water broke when I was going like getting into bed the night before he was born. And that's the only time that's happened for me. So just the anticipation, I couldn't sleep, you know, it was just like this anticipation of when is, are things going to pick up? Um, and it really took some time and I felt like I had to be more active with the birth, like walking around and, and he was just more, his birth was more, I don't know, like it was slower, but it felt more urgent in many ways. Um, and I wish looking back, I had known about homeopathy because I was in total shock after he was born, but I just, I, you know, I guess if you're in shock, you can't really verbalize it. And I guess I put on a really good show because I don't think anyone else picked up on it. Um, and I always wish like I had known about homeopathy and had somebody there to like, give me the, the remedies after he was born to just help me feel better right away. Yeah. Like reintegrate, integrate your experience, I guess. Yeah. Cause I just felt like so out of it. It was, what bizarre. do you think, what do you think caused that? Or do you just think like, that's just how the labor presented? Um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's just how it presented. Mm -hmm. I was actually really looking for my pictures from his birth. Cause there's, I had some amazing ones, but they're lost on social media somewhere. 
Um, I just felt like when he was, so he was born in call too. Oh, wow. um, I say too, cause so is my third, which we'll get to. Um, so that was pretty amazing, but I just felt like this urgency to like get him out. And I don't know if it was because like, I wanted it to be over. I don't know what it was, but there was just a lot of, yeah, just urgency, like not quite fear. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing I noticed in that case is I had called the midwives and everybody probably too early because we were anticipating a faster labor and then everyone was just annoying me and I should have just been like, go away <laughs> and like, I'll call you later. But I didn't want to, you know, be rude or whatever. And um, I feel like I had to be really, really active with the birth process, like to get things moving, you know? So it was definitely like completely opposite of my first, which was just like came on fast. And it was like just me and my husband for most of it. This one, I just felt like everybody needed to go away and, but I couldn't quite tell them that. Um, but you know, his, his actual birth was great. I mean, he was a bigger baby, but it was smaller head. <laughs> so that's helpful. Um, and it was just really that postpartum. He was though, probably one of the just more stressful postpartum experiences just because of that like shock mm-hmm. that we had. Um, and then afterwards he was sleeping on my bed. Um, and my husband has, was taking our oldest to daycare and he just, he had reflux, but I did the time I didn't know what it was. And he just kind of started like gagging and coughing and choking. And it's like, Oh my gosh. You know, when your newborn has an issue like that, it was really, really scary and terrifying. Um, so that was, that was definitely different and like not as peaceful as my first. Yeah. And I always wonder in those situations of, you know, you're feeling that sense of urgency. Like, I wonder what was going on internally that that was causing you to feel that way. Because usually it seems like there usually is something like you're not just like making it up. Like there usually is some reason that sometimes we find out why and sometimes we don't. Mm -hmm. But that is really fascinating that that's how that presented. Mm hmm. And so, okay, so with the with your second, and he was having these, um, he was having like the reflux and things like that. How did how did you go about taking care of that, treating it, trying to improve it? Yeah, well, um, at first, you know, just watch. I'm not anxious, so we just kept him upright, <laughs> you know. So, and he actually, oh my gosh, the six weeks after he was born, if not longer, it was terrible. I didn't get more than an hour to an hour and a half sleep maybe for so long. Cause he would just cry and he would scream and it was like, no matter what we did. And I did know about swaddling at that point. <laughs> so I did, you know, we swaddled him. We didn't swaddle him. We held him sideways. We held him upright. He would just literally scream himself to sleep mm-hmm. in my arms. And my mom came to visit and just bless her heart. She spent a couple nights, not full nights, but like, couple, like she would stay up late, which is beyond her bedtime and, and hold him in the chair. So I could get like a good solid, you know, maybe two to three hours in, in the evening, but I don't even think I got that. Cause I just remember feeling <laughs> so beyond tired. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't until he was about six weeks old. I actually had a day trip planned. So I was gone for about 12 hours 
and which is crazy. I don't recommend that when your baby's six weeks old, but just try telling me that at the time. And anyway, he almost, I mean, he didn't literally almost starve, but he didn't take a bottle all day, even the Gerber tiny little nipple bottles. So we found out through that process. And then I had to see a lactation consultant, which didn't help another lactation consultant. And finally consulted with Dr. Gahari himself up in Portland that he was severely tongue tied. Mm. And so we through the tongue tie revision process twice with him because it was so deep. And Dr. Gahari was, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but my recollection is he, he had the Eiffel tower tongue tie and Dr. Gahari was hoping to not have to do like the deeper revision. So anyway, he did. Um, so we went back for a revision twice. And after the second one, plus, I'd, so I did two things at once, which are, you know, don't do because then you don't know what happened, which one helped. But the second revision and I used cell salts on him, the reflux totally stopped. And I still to this day don't know which one it was or if it was a combination. Um, but he did completely stop having reflux at, at that point, And that was about three and a half months old. So, okay. So you clearly knew about cell salts at that point. How had you learned about that? I think I saw somebody post about, you know, Facebook group, mm-hmm. somebody posted about it for reflux okay. and we had tried full disclosure. We actually did try Prilosec. We were desperate. Mm-hmm. So for me to even consider a pharmaceutical, that's yeah. really desperate, but he was in a lot of pain um, and no judgment whatsoever to other people. But just for us, like I just always like to do natural stuff first and, but it didn't even help. Um, and I wasn't going to try like the next drug that they recommended and he thought it tasted horrible. So he hated taking it. So I think I tried twice and, you know, kept looking for other things. And of course we had tried some of the natural things you can get in the store. I don't remember what they are even, um, like even gripe water for colic, you know, and it it wasn't really colic though. It was really this reflux that he was having. So we also did craniosacral therapy. I was wondering Um, about that. Yeah. We had a great craniosacral therapist, um, a couple of them in Bend, but our favorite was a massage therapist trained in craniosacral versus we also had an osteopath. Mm -hmm. um, And then we found another osteopath. So just, we were lucky we had so many different providers we could see and it did help, but it was really the getting the revision that totally helped. Mm, that's so interesting. Also, one thing I wanted to mention, we talked about cell salts, but didn't, would you explain to the listeners what cell salts are? Sure. So there's 12, um, they're also called biochemic salts or tissue salts or biochemic tissue salts. And there's these 12 mineral blends, well, technically 11 our, our salts are blends and one is silica, which is not a salt because it's just the mineral. Um, and these are different mineral combinations or salts, if you remember chemistry <laughs> from high school, um, that are found in every tissue of your body and in different, common, different um, amounts in different tissues, right? So bones are going to have more of certain cell salts than your skin, for example, um, or different organs. And so um, some, ex- some, for this particular case, we used nat fall, nat phos cell salt, which is, um, natrium phosphorus. So sodium, natrium means sodium, NA on the periodic table. 
And um, that really helps with acid reflux, heartburn, that type of thing. And it really helped him. Um, other common cell salts you'll hear a lot of in groups online are things like calcfos for bones, so calcium phosphorus, and calcfluor, calcium fluoride, which is the natural occurring type of fluoride <laughs> um, for teeth. So those are really popular and, and common and really great for honestly just about any growing person or woman who's growing a person <laughs> to take. Yeah. yeah, that's I um I had seen at one point there's like a I can't remember who created it. I don't know if it's Miranda Castro, but somebody has some type of guide for pregnancy, cell salts mm -hmm. for pregnancy, where they recommend like, oh, in the first, I don't remember if it was broken down by months or if it was by trimesters, but do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I think that's actually Joette Calabrese, but I want to go back to Miranda Castro because she has a great book for um, like pregnancy and child child, I don't know what it's called. Do you remember the title? <laughs> it's, um, homeopathy for pregnancy and baby's first year or something. Yes, that's like that. the one. Yeah. I've actually given my book away. Um, it was along with my birth kit because <laughs> I'm like, I don't need these anymore. Um, but it is a great, a great book for, um, yeah, for pregnancy and beyond. So definitely recommend that. And then she also has a blend on her website. Um, and actually I have a picture I could send to you and you could post about this. Um, but it's for hair, nails, and teeth. And it's a blend of the three common cell salts for that. So calc floor, calc foss, and then silica, which is also known as the beauty cell salt. <laughs> Why I'm looking so good these days. I've been taking them. <laughs> oh, good. Yep, exactly. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, that's, that's great. I will definitely link to Miranda. Um, Castro's information too. Yeah, I, that book was my first book of homeopathy and oh. it, yeah, it just, gosh, it changed my life. So that's, that's awesome. That's great. Yeah. Her that. other, her other book was my second book and it's still my most, I actually normally have it with me, even though I have so many resources on my computer. Um, but I, it's at home because I was actually reading it just last night. <laughs> so it's a great, all her stuff is really great as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'm going to link all of that because those, yes, that is my most, her other book is my most used book probably in our house. <laughs> just totally. Like, okay, which one, what, what do we need? Um, totally. Okay, great. So, and yes, and I definitely want to talk more about remedies in a little bit um, with your, okay. So after your second, which sounds like that was just a, a more high stress, kind of time period and situation. Um, did you, when did you discover homeopathy in relation to his birth? So I really discovered it when my oldest was a baby. Okay. Um, but I wasn't convinced it did anything. Um, mm -hmm. We had a naturopath and she suggested um, either sulfur or calcarb or lycopodium, which now I know those are like the three primary antisoric remedies, which just means like constitutional remedies. So it was kind of a general, not very specific um, recommendation and no information about potency. So I remember going to the store and I bought calc carb 6C, I think, because I still have a vial. It's a very old vial. So I think that's the one I bought, which is very low potency, especially for a baby. Um, it's fine. But 
Um, it just probably, you know, my son had a really high vitality. So I just don't think it would have done anything no matter what the remedy was really. And it just didn't do anything. And so I kind of thought, well, it's just sugar pills, you know, like all the things that they, they say, and then your real life experience kind of matches that. I just really didn't know that it did anything. And I was about to go to naturopathy school where we could learn about homeopathy as one of the modalities. And I still didn't really have a strong belief. And it wasn't until about a year after my second was born. So he was one. And then my other one was almost five that we had a really great experience with homeopathy. And then I was like, my whole worldview (laughs) was totally shifted. Oh, that's amazing. So do you want to talk about that now? Or do you want to go, should we finish your birth stories and then come back to that? What do you think? Um, Either way. Yeah. Let's finish the birth stories. Okay, great. I can't wait to hear. Okay. So third birth. Yes. This is my favorite. Um, And I have so many birth stories. I'm sorry. (laughs) It takes so long, but this one was definitely absolutely my favorite. Um, She was born. So she was also, okay, this was weird. She was born two years and 12 days after my second. They were the same weight. They were both born and call. And they were the exact same gestational age. Oh my! That's about where the similarities end, though. (laughs) Like now that they're older, I can see. Yeah, it's it's funny, but she was born, so I went to bed, and I was reading Outlander for anyone who's also reading those books, the first one, and uh, I was reading for like a couple hours because I just can't put those books down, and I remember I was like kind of like I was I had been having Braxton Hicks for like weeks you know, a couple of weeks. And I remember just being uncomfortable. And then I remember going to bed and like tossing and turning. And then in it, I woke up at 3.25 in transition, like literally flipped over. It was the most insane contraction. And then I crawled to the other room because my husband was trying to get our two-year-old to stay in the bed. So he like fell asleep in there. And I got him up. And this is funny because my we had never had a water birth because even though I love water and I'm a Pisces, like I just never <laughs> wanted a water birth. But we decided to have a water birth. So my husband's like, oh, I'm going to start filling up the tub. And I was like, okay, I got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and so I go into the bathroom and I'm feeling like I have to have a bowel movement. Right. And I sit down and I'm on the toilet and I'm like, that is not a bowel movement. Like I'm literally having the baby. (laughs) So thankfully my husband doesn't know to leave me alone. Right. (laughs) And he's like, Hey, are you okay? And I was like, um, you need to come here. He's like, what? And I was like, you need to catch. And like, thankfully it was not our first baby. So he helped me off the toilet. And then, um, I was on hands and knees, which is how I've had all four of my babies. (laughs) And he caught, I mean, he literally caught her. And he remembers this moment where like, you know, her head is out. She's in end call. And he remembers her looking up. And we didn't know it was a girl, by the way, looking up at him with her big, blue, beautiful blue eyes. And he's like, it was just the best moment ever. And then, of course, he's focused on like, don't drop the baby. (laughs) And I had told him all I want is for me to see the gender because they were all a surprise and never knew the gender. And for the first two, he got so excited and got to say, it's a boy. But for this one, I'm like, 
I just want to look. And so he, he didn't even have like time. All he was doing is focusing on not dropping her. And he handed her to me and I was like, oh, it's a girl. Like it was the best moment ever. And then he says, um, what should I do? And I'm like, take a picture. And that's the picture I sent you. Cause I was like, I have to know, like, take a picture of her. And like, we have to know what time it is, you know? And then um, we get her wrapped up and we're just like in bliss. And she's just the most squishy little beautiful thing. <laughs> and then um, the midwife, no, then he calls the midwife back. He had already called her once and she had to get in the shower and she thought she had time, right? She calls or he calls her back and she, he says, um, it's a girl. <laughs> and she remembers she was like in the shower. So she had reached her head out to like answer the phone. And she's like, what? <laughs> we'll be right there. So then they came over and did all their weighing and measuring and all that stuff. But it was just so amazing. I don't even know. She was definitely my best pregnancy. Like I felt amazing the entire time. And if I could feel like her every single time, I'd have a million babies. Mm. Wow. That is such a special experience. Like there's mm. so much emotion wrapped up in all of that. Like, and being able to have that experience, just totally, just you and your husband and mm -hmm. everything happened. It sounds like it was textbook and beyond mm. with her being <laughs> in call. Like that is, yeah. That's, and how incredible is that Jenna? Two babies in call mm. when that is so rare to have that happen. Mm -hmm. that's that's so neat yeah it's yeah and they're both Aries babies so I think it's just like their little personalities water babes <laughs> yeah well no Aries I think are fire. oh I so assume like water based on them being in call but I yeah no, no but I was thinking and I'm not even like an astrological sign guru but I do know that supposedly fire and air go together and earth and water go together and those two don't mix and I'm water and my husband's earth and we have all fire and air babies. <laughs> so I'm like, how did this happen? I don't even know. <laughs> so yeah, they're just like fiery. They have their own like little fire and I'm going to do what I want kind of thing. So I have children like that. <laughs> yeah. I, I know the type. <laughs> That is so neat. So, so your midwife got there. Everything was good. Everything was mm -hmm. fine. Postpartum. Yep. yep. It was great. She was the easiest baby. We had so much fun. We spent, I mean, I definitely rested. And actually with each baby, I rested an additional two weeks mm -hmm. after they were, after their birth, before I started doing any workouts. Mm -hmm. But I, of course I did walk, you know, after a couple of weeks of rest. Um, and we used to go, it was an, we were in Oregon, central Oregon, which gets really hot in the summer. I mean, even when she was born in April, it was warm. Um, and that summer we just went out in the stroll with her and the two-year-old in the stroller every afternoon and did something. And of course with our older son too, um, who sometimes would ride on the front of the stroller. They're actually triple strollers, not double. Um, and just, yeah, we just had like the best summer. It was really great. That sounds so lovely. Sounds like a beautiful time. And then, okay. So with your fourth, what's the age difference there? For two and a half or two years, four months or something like that. Not quite two and a half. 
And what was that experience like? Yeah. So she was total surprise. (laughs) Um, And we, of course, I wanted another like essentially unassisted home birth. Um, But my husband was not comfortable with just not having a midwife. So we actually hired a midwife who was very hands-off, like very experienced and willing to be hands-off, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But at, and I didn't even go in until I was like 20 weeks because I was kind of in denial. (laughs) I was like, and it's my fourth, you know, I know there's not really a lot I need to talk about. Um, But when we were 33 weeks with her, 32, something like that, I found out she had duodenal atresia, which is a bowel obstruction. And I learned this because I had a gallbladder attack and I went into the ER because I thought I was dying (laughs) because that's the only reason I would go to the ER. And I thought I was like having a heart attack. If anyone's ever had a gallbladder attack, they know what I'm talking about. And everything was fine there. And they, um, then I have to give my husband a lot of credit for giving me aconite, which is a remedy for fright. I think you're dying. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Take aconite. And it really did help. But at that point, I was already like had called 911 and stuff. And I found out and and I think it was just meant to be because I found out through the ultrasound tech looking at my organs and also the baby to see that she had the characteristic double bubble, which shows that there's basically um, so when there's a bowel obstruction, the baby swallow amniotic fluid, but it doesn't go through because Mm -hmm. the in her case, her pancreas has, had grown around the duodenum, which is the first part of the small intestine, and pinched it off at a certain point in development. And that also explains why everything was normal up until a point. And then I felt like I got really big. And like, so I had a ton of extra fluid because the baby, my body was producing fluid, but the baby wasn't drinking it. Mm-hmm. Or she was, but it wasn't getting through. So they basically get this double bubble that shows up on the ultrasound. And so of course they tell me this at like 2 AM in the ER and I'm not really understanding it. Cause I'm like, I just want to go home at this point. And then one of the, um, the doctors calls the next day, like one of the, um, OBs at the hospital and explains it. And I was just like heartbroken because I wanted this like fourth and final home birth. And then it was like, oh, actually, not only do you have to have her in the hospital, you can't even have her in Bozeman, you have to go somewhere else. And so luckily, I'm from Missoula, which is where one of the two options was in the state. And so but we had to like go over and basically, as soon as possible, and wait until she was born. Because most people with this condition, the um, polyhydramino or whatever it is, too much amniotic fluid, um, they often have their babies early because their bodies just can't hold in. I mean, it's kind of like having twins or even triplets, the amount of fluid and just total mass. Um, And of course, my body (laughs) was not like that. It just held on, (laughs) Um, which is good because you want them to cook for as long as possible. But we ended up being induced at 37 weeks one day, which was like, I'm, you know, not really a fan of induction because I know that's the first step towards a um, spiraling out of control <laughs> of your birth plan. But I was also incredibly uncomfortable, like couldn't get comfortable in any position. And so we went in and had 
um, a amnio reduction. So they, that's where they poke the needle through your belly, like if they were doing an amniocentesis, but then they drain the fluid, not all of it, but they drained off three liters. It took 45 minutes. And of course I'm like, I don't need any painkiller. <laughs> oh my God, it was the worst. I would have all my babies again, rather than like sit there through one of those procedures. Um, and then when I stood up, I was like, oh, I, I could be pregnant. I, I'm fine. Like, I don't even need this, but it would just refill again. And so you'd have to keep going back and it was really uncomfortable. And also my baby was like reaching up and grabbing the needle. And Ooh. so I was like, I don't want to expose her, you know, and she came out scratched and stuff. So, um, so then we ended up having the induction. Luckily I was already, um, like three centimeters dilated, which I'd never had a cervical check before. Let me tell you, don't want another one. <laughs> I'm happy to not do that again. Um, but we did Pitocin and it took like 12, 11 or 12 hours to really get moving. Like I was doing lunges in the hallway and just trying to get things going. And finally my water broke at 10:45, and then First of all, that was like Noah's flood. <laughs> like it was sad. So oh my gosh. <laughs> I was laughing. Like it was comical. I was like, where's all this coming from? Oh my God. And then I was the most pain I had ever. Like I knew that, um, you know, a Pitocin induction would be painful. And it really wasn't until her head engaged. And then it was just the worst. Like, I mean, I had like the shakes. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. But at the end of the day, um, we, I had a doula, which was great. Um, I had a birth photographer who is practically a doula. Like she's amazing. Mm -hmm. Although she was taking pictures at that point. And then I had my husband who was like really, really supportive. And he, so I remember I had her on the bed, but like, I'm not going to use the bed like a bed, right? I'm going to be on my hands and knees and I would like have a contraction and be like bending forward. And then he would physically pick me up between them. And he was telling me like, baby's heart rate's going down and they're gonna start pushing a cesarean. Like you have to get up. And he was like holding me up. And at this point, I know she's coming out and I can feel her like moving down. And like, there is nothing that's gonna get in the way of her being born. And I know this like deep inside. But it was just so crazy because when she was born, there was, I think, 12 people in the room because they had the whole like NICU nurses, which are very sweet, by the way. We had the best providers, but NICU nurses, the NICU doctor, they were just standing, you know, but they were there. Um, we had an amazing nurse who should have been a midwife. Like she was so good. And she let my husband catch the baby and I got to hold her. But then after about 20 minutes, they whisked her away because she had basically, you know, they're swallowing amniotic fluid and it's not going anywhere. So they had to like get it out of her stomach. And then they whisked her away. And then, but my husband followed her. I told him like, I'm fine. You go with the baby. <laughs> Don't <laughs> and, leave her. <laughs> yeah. Do not let her out of your sight. And he was amazing at advocating for everything. Like we had said ahead of time, we want delayed cord clamping. And we have this photo of them 
coming in with the cord clamp and my husband going like this, like don't, like holding his hands up. It's so cool. Um, so he, we really had to be on top of it, even though they're very progressive, mom friendly. Like she had donated breast milk in the NICU, like super amazing hospital, but we still had to be on top of it. Um, and then the other thing, what was I going to say? Oh gosh. Oh, this was amazing. So the doctor missed it. He was like at home with his family and, <laughs> and he got called back in. And so he comes in and he's already kind of myth that he like didn't get to catch the baby. And then he's like, all right, he puts his gloves on. All right, let's get this placenta. And I was like, no, mine take usually 45 minutes to an hour. You can just chill. And he just like stood there, like stood back, arms crossed. Like you could tell no one has ever said that to him before. <laughs> no, I was like, no, it's just going to take time. And so after a little bit, um, you know, it came out fine. And I'm like, you're not going to, what are you going to do? Pull it out. So I was just really thankful that I had had all that prior home birth experience mm -hmm. because there's a lot of places to get trapped. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, and it, it, you're right. The fact that you had already experienced everything so, you know, physiologically, it makes it so much easier for you to be like, uh, -uh like, yeah, no out of here. I know what I'm doing. Let, let's let this happen the right way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Gosh. for sure. Wow. Well, yeah. And I, it's hard. Cause I know that that had to have been so frustrating to be like, this is my last birth. This is our final experience. And here I am in a hospital. Like this is the opposite of what I want. Yeah. Um, but how did you, how do you feel like you processed that? And then what was it, what was, what was it like for your daughter? Like what were, did she have to have surgery soon after? Yeah. So, <clears throat> I mean, I think I processed it as good as anybody can. I mean, I feel like I'm still processing it, you know, cause it is like a huge disappointment, <laughs> but, um, it definitely could have been much, much worse. So I'm really grateful for that. Um, she had surgery within 12 hours and that was part of, that was part of why they pushed for that induction date. The other thing they were saying is that I had like an umbilical cord varices, like a varicose vein in the umbilical cord, which I couldn't verify myself. So I don't know about that. And they also told me that her um, that they were worried about like a prolapse um, of the umbilical cord during labor. Um, and that was why I can't remember, you know, maybe that's why they wanted to pull the water off, which I'm glad they did. I was way more comfortable after that, but it turns out her umbilical cord was really short, first of all. And I'm like, couldn't you see that on the ultrasound? I don't know. Um, so there's just like a lot of things but they had the surgery scheduled for Tuesday morning and we had an amazing surgeon truly and an amazing um, pediatric anesthesiologist and all that. Um, but she wasn't even 12 hours old. So I kind of wish they had maybe waited a day. She went through the surgery fine. Um, the surgery, they did it the old fashioned way where they actually cut. Now, sometimes they go in with like a the little robots where they just make three little incisions and they go in. That scares me. <laughs> I don't want no robots, please. Um, it, which is a longer surgery, but easier recovery, I think is what he said. And, and he just preferred it. And he was, he's retired now. So we feel really lucky. We had this gentleman 
Um, but they also tried to, <clears throat> okay, so when a baby can't eat, they have to do TPN, the total um, whatever nutrition. It's like the IV that has the, or actually it's, um, they do have an IV form, but then they also did a feeding tube mm-hmm. down after the surgery through the stomach, but she was getting a lot of nutrients through IV essentially. Mm-hmm. And um, when babies are really little, they, you have to place a new IV every day because their veins are so tiny. And so they tried to do the pick line in her mm-hmm. and they failed because she wasn't hydrated enough. Her veins were, you know, she was just born. And so they had to, long story, very short, they tried for six out of the first or five out of the first six days of her life. She had to be on fentanyl or under full on anesthesia to, they finally got it placed on like Saturday. The surgeon came in on a Saturday and he was like the final one to try to place the pick line. And if they weren't going to be able to place it, they were going to have to do some other central line thing. And I was like, but guys, she's starting to eat. Like, why are we doing this? But of course they have to, you know, we don't really get that much of a say, but luckily he was able to get it get the pick line. And at that point, so we were ramping up her feeds through her little nose tube. And then she started taking by mouth um, and then ramping down the IV nutrition. And after two days anyway, like they were able to take out the pick line. And um, I think they left it in a little longer just in case, but she really, really healed quickly. And this is the first time I really got to use homeopathy with a birth and postpartum. And we actually got her out of there after 11 to 12 days, which was super, super fast. And when I went, I I was giving her homeopathy. And when I went back for her three week or whatever, maybe six week checkup, the surgeon asked me, because I had told him, or I had kind of asked, like, can we give her homeopathy? And he's like, no, because they can't have anything in their mouth, like in their stomach Mm -hmm. pre-surgery. To which I was just like, okay, that's not exactly how homeopathy works, but whatever. So when we went back, he asked, like, did you give her homeopathy? And I was like, uh-huh. <laughs> I sure did. <laughs> I was like, huh. Um, so he definitely noticed how quickly she got out of there. So we um, feel really lucky that we were able to use those tools and have as good of an experience as we could, um, you know, at that point. Yeah. With those circumstances. Gosh, Mm -hmm. that is amazing. That is amazing that you were able to use that and to see such benefit where a doctor is saying like, did you do something? (laughs) I can notice that this is not how it normally goes. Did you, did you do that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So with that being the case, I would love to talk a little bit more about homeopathy and what it is and how we as moms can use this to yeah, to help during pregnancy, to help during labor. But I mean, gosh, it's such a general help. Um, Mm -hmm. So could you explain just very briefly what homeopathy even is? Sure. Um, I always, I giggle because it's so hard to be brief, but essentially. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm about to record my next podcast episode on what homeopathy is. So maybe we'll link that too. Um, So homeopathy is Uh, a a form of medicine. It's like its own complete system of medicine that came out of Europe, out of Germany over 200 years ago. And it means um, similar suffering. That's what the word homeopathy means. 
So anytime we're trying to evaluate if something is homeopathy, we have to go back to the first principle, which is, does it, um, does it follow the principle of like cures like? That's what similar suffering means. So Samuel Hahnemann, who's the founder and really the codifier, like he took the, the natural law of like cures like, and then homeopathy follows natural laws. And he just put that into a system that anybody can use to determine if something, like how to, how to cure people, how to heal people. And so um, he was from Germany over 200 years ago, like I said. And in, funny, not funny, but interesting fact about him is there's a memorial, a statue of Samuel Hahnemann in Washington, D.C. It's the only doctor I know of to have a statue in, in Washington, D.C. And many hospitals are named after him. And the reason oh. is about 100 years ago, um, before the American Medical Association, we had the American Homeopathy Association, which predates the American Medical Association. We had dozens of homeopathic hospitals and children's hospitals and women's hospitals and, and medical colleges in this country. So it is very Western and it was very, very popular in the U.S. And one of our most popular um, American homeopaths, James Tyler Kent, is actually buried in Montana. <laughs> so right near the town where I grew up. So that's I pretty cool. I visit him all the time. <laughs> actually, I never have. I, I almost did a few years ago when I was in Missoula having this baby. But uh, anyway, it's just pretty cool. So it used to be very popular, but really it's um, we're using natural substances to help remove symptoms from you. And the like cures like, what that means is if this medicine, this drug, this substance can cause symptoms in a healthy person, it can cure somebody that has those same symptoms. And that's Hahnemann's words, <laughs> cure. Yeah, um, not Jenna's words. <laughs> not my words. <laughs> and so, um, and Hahnemann really developed the clinical trials before that. And, and he actually termed other medicine, he came up with the term allopathic, other suffering. And that just means that they don't have a real rhyme or reason. They meaning allopathic medicine, they use different principles for healing based on like, depending. So if you have allergies, and you go get allergy shots, that's actually homeopathic. In the fact that it's like cures like, if you have a kid with ADHD, and you put them on Ritalin, that's technically homeopathic if you're only looking at like cures like because you're using a stimulant to treat someone who's overstimulated. Now, the other difference between homeopathy and like pretty much any other form of medicine, whether it's natural or, you know, allopathic pharmaceuticals, is homeopathy also uses what we call potentized medicine. So it's highly diluted and it's gone through this process of being potentized, meaning we're adding energy into it. And I mean, physical energy. So when we make a remedy, we start with like a plant tincture. So um, belladonna, the plant tincture, and then you would mix the pharmacy. I don't do this. I don't recommend you do this at home either. <laughs> but the pharmacy mixes one drop of that plant tincture, tincture with say a hundred drops of alcohol in a little vial. And then they're gonna physically put energy into it 
like shaking and bashing the vial against their hand or, you know, I'm sure they have a standardized process. They actually do have to have a standardized process to follow the law. <laughs> so, um, and then that's a 1C. And then they take one drop of that with 100 drops of alcohol, bash it again, you know, 30 times or whatever their process is. That's a 2C. So they do this serially diluting up until you get to like a 30C, which you see in the store. And that energy, what it does is it allows the medicine to communicate with the body on the level of the vital force, which is like your chi, your prana, your life force. We call it your vital force. It means the same thing, right? Um, and we believe in homeopathy that all dis-ease begins as a disturbance in your vital force. And that makes you more susceptible to certain things, whether it's um, an emotional upset, a mental, you know, trauma or mental like overwork, um, somebody who's really sensitive to overworking and maybe they get headaches from overstudying and that's like a common thing they get. That's, you know, a mental trauma, if you will. It's so much, it's too much for their body to handle. Other people are more susceptible to, you know, physical ailments. They might be really susceptible to the cold or the heat or certain foods. Um, certain emotional situations might really trigger them. And so the remedies, because they have that energetic nature to them, they are able to communicate with our vital force and help reduce our susceptibility. Now, there are some herbalists, for example, and even some homeopaths, um, especially in other countries, that might use really low potencies and even tinctures. You can actually do homeopathy using tinctures. But if we do, it's typically like drop dosing, so really small doses, because the whole idea is that um, less is more. We want to um, adhere to the minimum dose, which is just the idea that you should use the smallest amount of medicine possible to bring about a cure. Um, and, and when we go through that process of potentizing, diluting and potentizing, that actually makes the medicines more, like, more gentle, but also more powerful because they can just reach the body on like the mind, body, and spirit level, like emotionally, mentally, and physically, versus a lot of times the you know, tinctures or lower potencies are a little bit more physical, like even the cell salts. So the cell salts are created in a similar process, but because they're minerals um, and they're not always soluble, like silica, for example, not it's like sand, <laughs> it's not soluble in water. Um, but for something like a cell salt, you, instead of diluting in alcohol, they take a mortar and pestle and you grind it with lactose um, powder. And you go through that same process and you grind it for a very, very long time. And that creates something that's um, more easily assimilated by the body and does have a little bit of that energetic component because you've put that physical energy into it. Um, but cell salts are, you know, they are definitely a low potency. So they're what we would, they're a six X potency. So diluted one part in 10, six times in a row serially. Mm -hmm. So they have a little bit of that material dose in them. So they kind of like straddle the line between supplement and true, you know, homeopathic. Right. Yes. And okay. So to give an example, so we've got the 30 C, which mm -hmm. 
it's the one to 130 times in a row versus a 200 C, which in the homeopathic childbirth kit, they are 200 C's. So that means that it's been that one to 100 drop put into another, you know, alcohol solution or water solution 200 times in a row. And so can you explain how, so you're saying when it's that 200 C, even though it is, it's really just an imprint of the energy at that point, you know, there's not really any substance there, but that actually is in a way stronger than if you had just, if you, than the 30 C, for example, can you explain that kind of, or is that right? Yeah, that is right. Um, There might be some substance there. And there's an interesting study done with um, homeopathic remedies made out of metals. And they took, I don't remember what potency they used, but it was definitely like non-material, you would say. It was diluted enough that if you do the math, it should be nothing there. And they put that into a spectrometer and they got the imprint or the resonance with the metal, just as if they had taken like an actual you know, silver and, and done something to it chemically and put it in the spectrometer. So it's pretty interesting. That's just a side note. So there is some evidence to show there's nano medicine going on. Um, but you are correct that it's a higher potency. And the reason the childbirth kit, and it's a great kit, the little yellow one, I think is what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, that the reason that that kit has the 200 C is you always want to match the energy of the situation or the energy of the acute with the potency. So for the average woman, childbirth is a pretty intense time. Mm -hmm. And so you're going to want something that is going to match that energy. And also for children, because this, this kit does have some great remedies for, you know, newborns and, and children up, you know, I mean, some of the remedies in there are very specific to childbirth, but some of them have multiple uses, like most remedies have multiple uses. And so most children can do great with a 200C, you know, if they're generally healthy and just a strong, robust child. Somebody were chronically ill, that's when you would want to use the lower potencies. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it's a really great kit. And so the 200C in there is really designed to match that energy so you can really feel like that the remedy did something and not have to take like quite as many doses. Yeah. Okay. That, that totally makes sense. I, I'd never heard of it that way in the, the concept of like matching the energy of the situation. And because childbirth is such a high energy situation, matching that with that higher potency, that totally makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's also making me realize, oh my gosh, <laughs> we're working together and I'm using like these super low, low potencies. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I am chronically dealing with things. (laughs) Well, and that's partially because of skin stuff. But yeah, yeah. and like, so any acute is just by nature going to be higher potency, you know, Mm -hmm. higher energy than a chronic. And if it's not, you should be questioning, is this actually an acute? Um, And so, yeah, and which reminds me that pregnancy is a great time. Pre-pregnancy is the best time to treat yourself to have better outcomes for your future children. And what I mean by better outcomes is we, we inherit our susceptibilities and our tendencies for disease from our parents. We do not inherit a death sentence or 
um, we're not sure we're going to get whatever disease runs in our family, but we definitely have that tendency, right? That's why family history is important. And through homeopathy, you can actually help to change that trajectory. So you are less likely to get the same conditions that your predecessors had. We also inherit trauma from prior generations and homeopathy can also help us help rid us of that trauma. And we store trauma in our tissues, which could be one reason why we see so many restrictions these days. Um, so it's definitely not, you know, necessarily a, the only approach you need, but I think homeopathy, if you're planning on having a baby, whether you're pregnant or not, it's great to, for you and your spouse or partner to see a homeopath if you can. I was not so lucky for <laughs> most of my babies um, to see a homeopath. And obviously nothing's foolproof. My fourth, I, she's the one that needed the surgery. So, I mean, I feel like I did everything I could other than I wasn't seeing a homeopath in her pregnancy, but I was, I had seen a homeopath. So um, nothing is definitely, is absolutely foolproof, but as far as like that longer term, um, you know, tendency for heart disease or cancer or tendency for panic attacks, whatever it might be that runs in your family addiction, um, homeopathy can definitely help. Um, and if it, if you already have children and you feel like it's quote unquote too late, it's not because your children can also be treated constitutionally and just really help break that, that pattern that we all tend to just carry on from our family history. So let's talk about that really quickly too, that difference between constitutional care and acute care. What, what does that mean? Can you give us an example of what's constitutional care and then what is acute care? Yeah, definitely. So um, constitutional care is for anything that's not acute. <laughs> so I'll talk about what acute is, but um, really the, the symptoms that just kind of creep up over our lifetime that we, we've always had that. Oh, I've always had painful periods or, or maybe not always, maybe I've only always had painful periods since I had kids or since I took the birth control pill or got off the birth control pill or whatever, whatever it was, things that have been going on for more than a week or two essentially are chronic. Now, acutes are things that happen that we're going to get over in a short period of time, no matter what we do, whether we take a homeopathic remedy or not, the, this illness will end. Now, 200 years ago, that illness would end either with a death or by you getting better. Nowadays, most people, you know, it's not that severe. We have better nutrition and stuff. Um, but the flu, pink eye, a UTI that's just one-time thing, not like a chronic recurring thing, um, headaches, especially if it's like, um, you know, again, not a recurring thing, but like, oh, I was out in the sun for way too long and I have this massive headache now. Those types of things that you know are going to end regardless. Maybe you'll take an ibuprofen and they'll go away. Maybe you'll stay in bed for a week and the flu will go away. Those are acute illnesses. Um, and those are a great opportunity to use homeopathy and really get a feel for like how powerful it is because homeopathy really shines in the short term with acute illnesses, people are like, oh my God, that really worked. Now, of course it really works for chronic stuff too, but it just takes longer to unravel mm -hmm. that chronic state. And, and it, some people just, 
it's, it's hard to have that patience when you don't have like a short win. <laughs> so a lot of people come to homeopathy from acute care. Um, now, we look in homeopathy, we look at acute illnesses as, um, well, let me back up. Our chronic state, you can think of it as like a pressure cooker. And this kind of makes sense if you think that most people are generally healthy until they reach middle age and then they get some sort of diagnosis. Um, and obviously it could be younger or older depending on the person's um, vitality. But every, you know, most people are pretty, pretty good and like they have little symptoms, but it's not really bothering them. And then all of a sudden the pressure cooker, like it reaches pressure and there's like lupus or whatever the, you know, autoimmune, cancer, heart disease, whatever the disease is going to be, will often come up at that point. But um, we look at acute illnesses as kind of like letting the pressure off of that chronic state. So we look at acute illnesses as being really good. They are healing for the body. And the problem is when we as a society suppress every little acute illness that comes our way, all it does is add pressure to the pressure cooker. Yeah. So there's a couple of things you can do. If you get nothing else from learning about homeopathy today, just know that the less you suppress acute illnesses, the healthier you will be in the long run because you're literally letting the pressure off of your chronic state when you allow your body to have a fever and to throw up and to do whatever it needs to do, get stuff out. And then if you go one step farther and you use homeopathy or see a homeopath for an acute consultation, so you're using homeopathy properly to treat an acute illness, your body will be stronger as a result and you will be healthier. So many people just do that and they may never go see a homeopath for chronic illness. Maybe they don't even need to, maybe they don't have enough symptoms, but then of course, to reach that like deep level of healing where you can start to remove, um, you know, generational things you've inherited, trauma, um, tendency towards disease, et cetera, that really does require chronic or constitutional care, which is like an ongoing, think of it as like a partnership with your homeopath to really achieve whatever the level of health is that you want. Mm -hmm. And we define, um, actually, I should pull up the quote because it's a really beautiful quote, <laughs> but healing is, we define health, and I'm going to paraphrase Hahnemann, as a state of complete freedom. So you can pursue what it is that you, that basically God put you on earth to pursue that is what we look at as health. So it's not just absence of symptoms, absence of disease. It's complete and total freedom to do what you're here for. Mm. That's that is, yeah, that's really impressive. Well, and I, I have to say, I have been very interested in homeopathy since, since I was pregnant with my first. So it's been about five years now, and I've used it off and on. I feel like, I mean, Arnica... I could have bought stock in Arnica and we would be rolling in money, baby. I mean, we just, we use Arnica because my kids hit their heads all the time. I feel like there's always some type of bruise coming around, but, but so that one, I feel like Arnica is one and maybe you could tell me if there are some other really big ones that you think of, but that's the one that I'm like, no, you, this works. You can see that this works because you saw where this bruise was, or you saw where this like big swollen goose egg was and now it's gone. Um, 
but so that's how I like, that was kind of like the first like big win that I got with homeopathy was just through Mm -hmm. using Arnica. And then another one that was so cool was Janie was, my oldest was getting her first tooth and she was, I mean, she was struggling. Like she was so upset. She was so angry and we found the right remedy and she, it was done. It was gone. And uh, so like, it was just, I, and I remember, and my husband is always, I'm, I'm much less skeptical. I'm like, oh yeah, it's probably, it probably works. (laughs) And he's, he's like, I don't believe it. And, but then when that happened, he was like, okay, that was really cool. Like that was not a coincidence. That was really, really cool. And the same with another time she got croup and it was the very clear croup cough. Like, I mean, you know, you can't, you can't misdiagnose that cough. You know what it, what, what it is. And we found the right remedy and knocked it out so quick. Um, so those were some really great acute experiences that we had where it just, I mean, it was so obvious, like, oh, this just works so well. Um, so yeah, so I, I love the idea of, you know, seeing how you can, you can just see, like you can see it so easily and so quickly sometimes in those acute situations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. And we lucked out because we had a great experience chronically initially, followed by a series of great acute experiences. Um, and so I think with my, my son, so I found homeopathy or refound it. He was four, almost five, and he was um, struggling with his bowels. I shared this story on my first podcast, but he was withholding stool. And that was the main thing. I mean, it was just the most frustrating thing um, for us. And we ended up seeing a homeopath because nothing was working. And we literally tried everything, even Miralax, which he refused to drink. And then we, uh, he also was very, very speech delayed, like very, and nobody could really understand him except me, (laughs) pretty much. And we ended up having a great experience where he had his chronic remedy. And within I felt like it was overnight, but when I look back at emails and stuff, it was about a week later, he started talking, like everybody was noticing. And then his, his symptoms resolved as well, um, as far as the withholding stool. And that's when I didn't realize the power, like this didn't just touch him physically. And in fact, first it touched him mentally and emotionally. I was just blown away. And it is really cool to see those connections of like that, like, withholding of speech and withholding of like in his bowels and that like almost just like that constriction kind of uh-huh. and how yeah. that really was able to hit both of them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Oh, that is so cool. Okay. So for moms who are pregnant, I mean, I know it's, it's, too, and I think this is what's really hard about homeopathy is someone will say like, they've got something going on and I want to be like, the answer is see a homeopath because because it can be so hard to there are hundreds and hundreds thousands are there thousands of remedies i mean there are yeah there's technically thousands but there's really there's 100 to 150 like polycrests okay so the way the remedies are are created or the way that we put a new remedy into the the materia medica is through approving and so you and Hahnemann proved, I think it was 94 remedies in his lifetime. By the way, he lived until his eighties, which is remarkable for 200 years ago. Like yeah. that's amazing. And the remedies that he proved and the ones that were in use back then are 
we have so much more information about them because so many more people were using homeopathy and they were really mostly doctors. Whereas nowadays it's mostly lay, lay people because doctors are, you know, really steered another direction. Right. And so not to say that the quality of homeopathy is less, but it's, it's just been more modernized also because we have a lot of more patients with more modern problems, Mm -hmm. mental and emotional stuff versus physical. Cause back then it was really like, you're going to die and here's some medicine to save your life. So the remedies that are oldest understandably have the most information. They had the most robust, you know, proving they, they proved with more material doses. So they would get a little bit more physical symptoms even. Um, and so there's really, you know, a hundred or so remedies you'll find in the store, but it, it, essentially infinite <laughs> remedies. Cause you can make a remedy out of just about anything. And Hahnemann Labs is one of the better places to buy them. And they have like 52,000 remedies or something crazy Holy like that. Wow. I know. Yeah. But don't crazy. think about that. Just think about the ones that like when you go to Whole Foods or Sprouts or whatever your local, like we have a local um, health food store named Gazuntite. It's amazing. You know, think <laughs> about the remedies they have because that's that's going to serve you really well. And of course, you can order if there's something else. But for most people, it's the top, you know. 50 to 100 that are really going to help them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I have told you this story, but I, um, for Christmas received that I was so excited. I received Miranda Castro's set that it, that goes with her book. And it was just mm-hmm. the most thrilling thing in the world. And my daughter knows that homeopathic remedies, actually that was one of her first words was remedy. So that's, oh. <laughs> that's that's the kind of family we are but she loves the taste of them because they're sugar and she I thought that everything was locked up where she couldn't get to it and luckily homeopathics you know it's not gonna hurt her but um she ate like 15 of my new remedies so it's like that set of 100 is a little more like 75 now but yeah but but anyway yeah okay so but like I was saying, it's kind of hard because you do have to learn how to use the system. It's a whole system of medicine. You have to learn how to take down your symptoms and figure out what remedy is the best for you. Um, but could you ex- could you give just like a couple of examples of things that maybe you've seen, um, not maybe not the remedy that was used, but different things in pregnancy that homeopathy could potentially help with? For sure. So morning sickness. Um, that can be challenging. Um, so you really do have to match your symptoms, but morning sickness is very commonly treatable with homeopathic remedies you'll find in the store. Um, so in that case, you'd want to pay attention to what exactly, you know, is it eggs cooking <laughs> that make you feel sick? Is it the thought of food? Is it every time you do the dishes? Cause there's some really weird symptoms like nausea from putting hands in water. Mm-hmm. That's a weird symptom, but maybe lots of people have that, you know, obviously somebody had that or it wouldn't be in the books. Um, another thing is even varicose veins that can come up during pregnancy and get worse. Um, those are often very treatable with, uh, with a remedy. And of course you want to do all the other good things to support, support those as well. Um, even things like sometimes, Well, yeah, I mean, lots of symptoms can come up in pregnancy that a woman's never had before. 
Um, and those are actually usually from the baby. They're symptoms mm -hmm. of the baby state. They're telling us about the baby. So if you are thinking of seeing a homeopath for your child after they're born, make note of those. Um, but I would say those are two of the biggest things that people would see a homeopath for are like varicose veins um, and morning sickness. Um, and then during labor, they can be very, very useful. So if a woman is stalled out in contractions for whatever reason, and the reason is really important, are, do they, um, is it because people are around and they're feeling shy? Is it because they're afraid they're going to die? Is it um, some other reason that contractions are stalling out? Um, that's a time that homeopathy can be very useful in labor. And I love the, the birth kit because it has a little booklet that really breaks down some of those reasons. So you can differentiate and you can have your partner read the book ahead of time and maybe think about what was it last time or what do I think might be the problem? Am I scared this time because, oh gosh, I remember it last time and it was really painful. And now I'm afraid to have that pain again. What were the things that caused me problems before? Or what, what might I you know, what might be causing me problems this time and like write those down or circle them or something like that. Um, even for example, commonly women might even say like, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. And that is a, I will just say that as an aconite <laughs> state. Um, somebody who thinks they're going to die, whether or not they are even remotely close. Mm -hmm. Like that's a great time for aconite. And that actually brings me, I mentioned earlier when I have, was in that shock state after my son, um, I probably actually needed Arnica because Arnica is more for shock and trauma, but more the kind where the person's like, I'm fine, I'm fine, even though they're clearly not fine. Not, yeah. Versus aconite is like just more dazed and like your traditional shock. Um, but even so after a really fast birth where mom or baby might not urinate, aconite can actually make allow them to urinate. So that's a really great one that can save you having to go get a catheter. <laughs> so, um, and that I'm pretty sure is in that little birth kit, the blue or um, yellow kit that you have. It says it in that little booklet. So that's one that I feel confident saying. Um, a lot of them you do have to differentiate, you know, is this a, for example, if a woman is in kind of going into transition really, but they start really shaking that and trembling um, and they feel also feel scared, that's a different remedy versus mm -hmm. aconite. They're scared, but they're going to be saying, I'm going to die. Yeah. And it's a, it's a much more frantic presentation. So just reading through, um, whether it's the Miranda Castro book or the booklet that comes with the kit a few times to get yourself acquainted can really make it more useful for you. And then after delivery, um, Arnica is almost... I mean, I don't like to say this is good for everybody, but like, it's pretty much good <laughs> for everybody because your body just went through some trauma. Mm -hmm. um, and then another remedy that is very, very commonly used is Bellis Perennis, which is similar to Arnica. It's in the same family. It's also in the birth kit. And this is for like deeper Arnica. And so it makes sense that obviously your uterus and your deep abdominal muscles just went through some exercise and there's a lot of you know, potentially bruising and trauma, depending on how things go. Um, so Bellis Prentice is really common. After my fourth, uh, my homeopath had me alternate those. 
Mm. I can't remember how often, but you know, just go with your intuition. <laughs> um, it's really hard to do overdo it in the postpartum period because you just went through a lot. And obviously it depends on how your birth was. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that's one thing that's pretty kind of a protocol for post-delivery that's really common. Yeah, that's that sounds really helpful. I know that that, that kit also has a lot of discussion of postpartum bleeding and mm-hmm. some remedies that can be helpful for that. And that's I mean, that can be, that's, I actually used it with my first when I um, was, and I wasn't hemorrhaging, but I was like trickle bleeding for a good bit longer than my midwife like preferred. And, um, and, and it's another situation where it's kind of like what you said, you did two things at once. And so it's like, I'm not really sure which one it was, but I don't remember which remedy I took, but I took a remedy and I put some placenta in my mouth or not placenta. Yeah, no, it was. It was placenta. My placenta had already come at that point. And I put a little bit of placenta in my mouth, so I don't, I'm not sure which it was. But but yeah, that's really cool that that's an option. Yeah. And um, also, yeah, so after my fourth, I definitely didn't bleed as long. I think the Arnica helped. And actually with my third, I forgot to mention this, I was about 13 weeks and just sitting there and had a just bright red blood. And of course, I'm terrified. Mm-hmm. But it's a, I got it checked out and it was a subchorionic hematoma or hemorrhage. Mm-hmm. I, I thought it was hemorrhage, but it definitely hemorrhaged. And I didn't think to even mention it to my homeopath for like a week because I was so new. I didn't really know, you know. And then she was like, oh, we have a protocol for that. And I had to order one of the remedies. So I just took the Arnica out of the protocol and it stopped bleeding right away. Just the Arnica. So, I mean, every woman... Every family needs Arnica and I mm-hmm. took it in a 200 C, um, but I have it in a one M, which is a higher potency, which I have used on my daredevil children. <laughs> so it's good to have that in a range of potencies, um, as well. So that, that was like the only, yeah, other pregnancy time that I used a, a remedy. Um, and then with my th- fourth, I also wanted to, to mention, of, it's related to, you know, pregnancy and stuff as well, but also just generally when I had the IV and the same would go for like a blood draw, I use a remedy called Leadum, which is great for puncture wounds Ooh. and it can really help reduce that bruising. Um, so I know there's blood draws often in pregnancy, so um, that's good to know. And also for those of you who do live in tick thick areas. I don't know what they're called. We luckily, I live where it gets so cold, the air hurts my face half the year. So luckily we don't have very many ticks here, but they lead them as a remedy you can use for tick bite as well to prevent tick-borne illnesses. So that's I a really good one. Yeah. I didn't realize that it was good for ticks. I did, I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that that also helps with mosquitoes too. Like yeah, it can. I actually think staphysagria um, is it's another remedy that's better for mosquitoes and also potentially very useful for this whole subject. Um, it's anytime you feel violated. Um, like, so in the case of, like, if I had my fourth, if we did have to have a cesarean, definitely would have taken staphysagria because it's for cutting knife wounds or mm-hmm. knife incisions, whether or not they're actually on purpose. Um, Mm -hmm. and then anytime also there's like a cervical check 
that yeah. you feel violated and you don't want that. Staphylococcus is the remedy to think of. I was just, I don't think I took it. I should have, <laughs> but like, keep that in mind. Um, especially if things don't your, go your way and you're just not happy about it. That's a good remedy to help you release and just move on mm. without holding it all in and causing further issues. Also right. useful after um, a tongue tie revision for a baby, because obviously they feel like, what did you just do to me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the type of situation where staphylococcus is useful. I'm sure it's in the birth. I'm actually not sure it's in the birth kit, but it probably I'm, is. I'm pretty confident that it is. Yeah. yeah. I'm pretty confident it is. Um, that's really great to know. I made a I made a um, a remedy mix after my tongue my daughter's tongue tie, and I'm trying to remember if that was in it or not. Like I know arnica Probably. was in, it, but I bet yeah. I bet it. Yeah, I usually do arnica and calendula, and then mm-hmm. I usually give staphylococcus second because I I'm sorry mm-hmm. separate because I feel like they maybe don't need as like many doses of staphylococcus like maybe just one to kind of help them move on versus the Arnica and calendula is more for ongoing healing. Mm-hmm. Um, some people also use Hypericum, which is great for nerve. Mm-hmm. So actually if you, I know some women have tailbone issues after birth from birth, Hypericum is a great remedy for that. Anytime there's an injury to a nerve rich area, um, whether it's like fingers or toes or tailbone and it has shooting, or if you do end up, you know, like for an epidural mm-hmm. and you hear those women get those epidural headaches. Yeah. Hypericum for that. Oh, uh, this is so great to know. That's mm-hmm. the thing about homeopathy. Like there's just so much, it's so depthy. And I mean, it goes back to what you were saying. Like it is its own school of medicine. It's its own thing. And gosh, we could talk about, whew, we could relate it to midwifery in so many ways with the smear campaigns against it and why all of those homeopathic colleges are, have been closed and, mm-hmm. and we could take it back probably to a lot of the same people, yep. <laughs> but we, we can, we'll do that. I'd love to actually, I'd love to talk about that another day. Um, But yeah, Jenna, I just, I really wanted to have you on because like I said at the very beginning, I have gained so much from working with you and you in particular, I had worked with another homeopath before and it was, it was helpful, but this has been really different. And since we've been working on my constitutional care, especially because in the future, I, we are considering conceiving again, and I'm trying to use this preconception time to really heal a lot of the chronic issues. And I've just seen so much change, physical, emotional. It's been really incredible. Um, And I will give one example to everyone really quickly, just because I just think it's so crazy. But um, one of the things that Jenna and I have been working on is I had a systemic poison ivy issue (laughs) occur. And my whole body head to toe was covered in poison ivy. I ended up at the time because I didn't think homeopathy could possibly help with this. Um, cause it was just so bad. This was like two years ago, but at the time I ended up, um, then having to go on to prednisone too. So it was like a double whammy and, um, oh gosh, it was just like the most pain I can remember being in. But now that Jen and I have been working on actually trying to kind of bring that back up, that, that situation back up so that my body can kind of heal it. 
And um, so we've been using Roost Talks. And the first thing that I noticed was at one point there was like a rash on my forearm that started to come back. And it was not a real rash. It was just kind of like an outline of a rash. And then we increased the potency just slightly. And then all of a sudden my body, it was two weeks, Jenna. I don't think I've told you this, but it was two weeks of itching so bad. <laughs> like mm-hmm. my whole body was just itching and I wouldn't even have to do anything to it for it to just itch deep down. And there was nothing on my skin, but I was itching. And one thing that was, this is just a side note, but it was kind of cool. When I was, when I had the poison ivy, like when it was actually happening, the only thing that would help me feel better was sticking my arms in the scalding water, sticking my body in the scalding hot water to make it stop itching. And with this, hot water made it terrible. (laughs) I feel like my body did not want to be in the hot water at all. So I just thought that was so interesting. But it's really cool to see all of these layers just peeling off. And I totally understand the idea of like, gosh, when it's constitutional care, you might not see improvement for a while. And it's kind of like a long game. But then when you do see the improvements, when you do see your body like going back through these events and things that have happened, it is just amazing. And you really can't doubt that it's doing something like it is. So it's changing so much. And I know my mental state has changed drastically. So that's why I wanted to have you on because I know that this can be so helpful, not only for pregnancy and childbirth, which obviously it is, but it can be helpful to anyone and anyone who's trying to heal trauma from maybe previous pregnancies and labors. I mean, it's, it's so much. It's so helpful. Um, so I feel like this was such a great taste for everyone to kind of understand what homeopathy is. If people are curious, which I assume many are at this point, where can they go to learn more about your practice, Jenna, and more about you in general and your podcast, just all the stuff? Sure. Yeah. So I have a practice, um, projecthomeopathy.com, and that is going to be the main place to go. I, I am migrating all of my stuff to that website, but right now- What an I informative, have, amazing um, episode. I know this one was lengthy, which, so I'll be quick um, here, but I have just two points courses. I'd love to go over quickly. And the first one, it just hit about me, me as I was speaking um, to Jenna and then my about podcast the way is just that when right we now tense our body up on, during pregnancy Spotify, by putting pressure uh, on ourselves to, to look a certain way have or episodes, to not gain a certain new. amount of weight so or check it out whatever on, the case may be, it was on Apple. it's I just think I like the listen to it on Apple. Great. I didn't know it was on Apple yet. Yay, I'm glad to hear that. Pregnancy isn't an excuse to overindulge, Check it out on iTunes or Spotify or all those places. Yeah, the main place if you're looking for a homeopath, your body definitely, should definitely check out Project Homeopathy. Should do. Um, you can Relax work with me. We have three other fantastic female homeopaths and, and lastly, one male. So I just times, want to encourage you to look into you know, homeopathy deeper. <laughs> it to has see been the males, a huge blessing to my family um, over fine. the years, then, but you know, um, especially now Zach, that I'm actually working with a certified homeopath. Specializes Jenna's been like able to young, help me unwind um, so much disease and distress and that's been boys, going on in my body that for years. So I highly recommend checking out all of her information, which is linked below in the show notes. All right, my friends. I hope you're feeling excited and That's all I've got for you for today. And everybody has experience... Um, all of our homeopaths have-
our, our moms. So Thanks for listening to this um, week's episode. And they all have experience using homeopathy and pregnancy, postpartum, preconception. So I recommend you check out the bios and see who you resonate with and go ahead and schedule if that's something that calls to you. And then, yeah, like I said, my course is still at jennadodge.com. Perfect. Oh gosh. And yeah, Project Homeopathy is such a game changer in the sense that you can schedule your appointment. And if it's acute, like you can get an appointment super quickly. And the thing that I am so impressed with it price-wise is like, holy cow, you are getting so much value for the, it's not expensive. And I I think about the fact that like, oh my gosh, I would have gone and bought supplements. I would have gone and like done some biofeedback thing. I would have done a thousand things that would have added up to so much money. Instead, I can pay like what, 60 bucks or whatever, talk to somebody, figure out the right remedy and then get email support for days after. It's like, oh, it's a godsend. It's the greatest thing in the world. I'm so grateful for Project Homeopathy and all that you're doing, Jenna. It's it's been such a blessing to me and to my family. And I know that anyone that contacts you guys and and uses your services is going to feel the same way. So Jenna, thank you so, so much for all of your wisdom, for sharing your stories. It was such an honor to have you on the Happy Home Birth Podcast. Thank you so much. It was so good to be here. <laughs>